The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Pachak. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Live from a cold spot inside the Caliburn house, it's Doctor Who Pachak. Caliburn House is over 400 years old, but she has been around much longer. The Caliburn Gast. She's mentioned in local Saxon poetry and parish folk tales. The wraith of the lady, the maiden in the dark, the witch of the well. Is she real? As in, actually real? Oh, she's real. In the 17th century, a local clergyman saw her. He wrote that her presence was accompanied by a dreadful knocking, as if the devil himself demanded entry. During the war, American airmen stationed here left offerings of tin spam. The tins were found in 1965, bricked up in the servant's pantry, along with a number of handwritten notes, appeals to the ghast. For the love of God, stop screaming. She never changes. The angle's different, the framing, but she's always in exactly the same position. Why is that? We don't know. She's an objective phenomenon, but objective recording equipment can't detect her. Without the presence of a powerful psychic. Absolutely. Very well done. She knows I'm here. I can feel her. Calling out to me. What's she saying? Help me. The Gallifreyan Embassy presents Doctor Who Pachak, episode 292. This is Louis Trapani, and joining me on this episode across the great uh, ferocious cold pond in the middle of winter is Mr. Dave A.C. Cooper. I'm shouting spam. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Lewis. Tins of can, tins of spam. <laughs> oh, yeah. You get um, no mundane emulations from me today. <laughs> well, it's good to have you back on board, as always, Mr. Cooper. I, I'm hoping that it's a little warmer where you are, as opposed to where me and my next person I'm going to introduce is, which is um, Mr. Teras Natitian. Hello, Teras. Hello. Welcome. Um, How are we all doing? From the Antarctic, it's Terras. Well, uh, a.k.a. New York right now. <laughs> the polar vortex. Yeah. Oh. 
Though they're saying this isn't the polar vortex now, uh, as opposed to, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. That this is just um, regular winter coldness. It's and it's lasting now. We just had like a snowstorm yesterday, and it finished up this morning, and um, which piled well, depending on where you are, up to 14 inches of snow in this area, and now. We have sub-freezing, sub—you know—temperatures below freezing for the next foreseeable future, as far as you know, the next week goes. You know, so the snow is going to stay around for a while. Ooh, cold spot. Sign of ghosts, you know. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, ghosts or, or or time travelers, as it may be. So if you didn't pick up on the clues that we've been leaving and the clips that you just heard, we're going to be reviewing in this episode, we will be reviewing Hyde as opposed to uh, Jekyll. No. <laughs> Hyde, uh, H-I-D-E. And uh, that's um, from the, uh, the 2013 series, uh, a.k.a. Series 7, second half of Series 7, Season 7, or I can't keep up with it, 2013 um, series of Doctor Who. But first, let's jump into the news. So let's um, uh, we'll, we'll get some sad news out of the way first. Oh, before, uh, well, you know, of course, before I start the news, I must do this. All right, unfortunately, uh, we'll start with some One castings. of these days, I'll figure out what you're typing. <laughs> I thought Shakespeare himself. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I, I need a few more monkeys and we can, you know, type out some Shakespeare. So, uh, as I said, we'll, we'll start with some passings. Um, as I said, we'll, it's some sad news. Uh, first um, is uh, Roger Lloyd Pack, who um, is the, was, well, was the star of Only Fools and Horses, and he also played Lumic in The Rise of the Cybermen um, of Doctor Who, has uh, passed at the age of uh, 90, no, 69. <laughs> I was reading that dyslexic. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Yeah, no, see, only he was only sixty nine, unfortunately. He um, he had pancreatic cancer, so he he died um, at home, surrounded by his family. Uh, yeah, that's what his uh, Maureen Vincent, his agent, has had said. Yeah, so he played Trigger on only. I've never seen of. I, I'm not familiar with it, but I know it's very popular in the UK. Only Fools and Horses, right, Dave? Yeah, he played Trigger. Uh, it was the one that famously um, I, I was <laughs> called, um, you know, the, the, the two main characters. He called, called the young lad Dave all the time. And very famous for his little story. He, he, he was famous. He got awarded, uh, his character got awarded um, a medal by the mayor because um, he'd used the same brush for 27 years. It had 14 handles <laughs> and about 10 bottoms to it, but it's still the same brush. Wow, <laughs> uh, he's uh, he also appeared on the Avengers and um, I'm sure uh, various other. Um, uh, shows. He was even briefly in the Harry Potter, Harry Potter, the Goblet of Fire. Wow, oh. lots of things he was in, UFO, um, lots of things. So yeah, that's uh, um, sad to see him go. I know. Um, you know, the, the, those that had worked with him have um, expressed their, their um, you know, disappointment or, or grief, rather, uh, you, know, you know, via Twitter or, or whatnot or Facebook. And uh, one of the best things I saw him in was um, in the reworking of Survivors, where he played a really nasty type called Billy Stringer, who, who used to um, 
befriend people who were starving. You know, this was where Earth was, you know, the population was devastated and uh, he would uh, sell sell them on the black market to this man who ran a coal mine. He was a, a real master character in that. Well, yeah, and he wasn't playing a, a, a good guy in, in Doctor Who either. Indeed. He was also in both versions of Terry Nation's Survivors. Um, yes, he was. Yeah, he was the only one to actually be in both. Yeah, he was. He played different characters, of course. But yeah, I, I was just alluding to the second one. But yeah. you're right. He was. He was the only one that was in the the original as well. I, I haven't seen Survivors, so I, that's why I, I haven't really. I can't really speak to that. I know you have spoken many times on. Um, well, not many times. But occasionally, on Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi, you have brought up Survivors and sort of been on my list to want to sort of catch at some point all right well uh, we have other passings unfortunately unfortunate to report jerome willis best known to doctor who fans for appearing in the classic series third doctor adventure the green death as stevens has passed away as well i haven't got the tape for that but yes and i don't know what you want to add i mean the uh, this is inevitable, really, with the long-running show. I mean, these people have been in lots of other things apart from that. It's always sad when we hear these things. And he was also in a Space Precinct, too. Ah, right. I'm a little rusty with, with him uh, as far as um, what character he played. Stevens from The Green Death. Uh, the Green Death is where the Doctor first uh, gets the uh, crystal that uh, plays a role in today's yes. uh, episode we're reviewing. Yeah, no, I, I was actually referring to Space Precinct, but uh, yeah, yes. Oh, in Space Precinct, I don't recall that yeah. character. Uh, no, no, it's okay. That's um, um, Anyway, I, he might have been in makeup, you know, and that's why. All right. Well, unfortunately, more passings. Ken True, T-R-E-W, uh, is a veteran BBC costume designer who had designed the Seventh Doctor's costume, um, as well as um, a revamping of the Third Doctor's costume and creating the first costume for the Master, played by Roger Delgado, has also passed away at the age of 77. Yeah, um, uh, other and other things that people will perhaps remember him from here in the UK is um, the Uneedin line. He did he worked on that and Annie Karenina and um, Bergerac, which was a a detective one. Uh, I think it's twenty six episodes of Doctor Who from nineteen seventy one to nineteen eighty nine. He worked on, and as um, Darth was reminding me. He, uh, particularly on the uh, like the third doctor's uh, red velvet jacket and 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 I think Taurus was mentioning one of the other uh, just prior to his recording uh, one of the other costumes that he was it the seventh doctor yes uh, Lewis just mentioned that yeah yeah he uh, passed away on the 11th of January of sporadic CJD it's a rare condition affecting only one in two in every uh, million people in the UK. I'm not really familiar with what that condition is. Well, His uh, Doctor uh, Who career spans from the myth makers through dimensions in time, which is a huge chunk of time. Right. Mm. And, and I'm not sure with that illness. It's not, it's not mad cow disease, but it's, it's like one of these uh, degenerative diseases, I think, that, that, that um, 
has sometimes been linked to, to that. It's a, a, I think it's, a, I think that's what those initials stand for. But mm. uh, you know, I, I honestly don't know. We're not medical people here. But which, whereas I think it was a debilitating. I think he retired from about being fifty-seven. Was he? So. Oh, sad news. It's, it's always sad. And, um, all right, I thought we had one other passing, but perhaps not. Okay, <laughs> I think that's enough. You know, they say uh, these things uh, come in threes. I, I mean, I don't really believe it, but, um, but yeah, so there's three for you. Okay, well, in, um, in some better and happier news, and uh, um, uh, Doctor Who, the comic book series, is regenerating with, well, BBC Worldwide is bringing the series to Titan Comics. So they're going to be doing a, um, a series which will be standalone adventures, so which will feature the 10th, 11th, and when the new series is launched, you know, with Peter, um, with Peter Capaldi, it will be the, uh, they'll feature the 12th Doctor as well. So um, they, they've just made this announcement, so the first comics will be released in, obviously in 2014, and... Um, you know, so we'll we'll see. You know where they go with this, but it's good that you know that Doctor Who will continue in in comic book form. So I'm assuming when they say you know standalone adventures is that uh, there'll be a, a comic book story that it's, it's not going to be a continuing thing. It's it's they'll uh, maybe they'll jump around between the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth, you know, and just have you know standalone adventures. So I'm assuming that's um, available. Interesting to see where they go with this. Yeah, yeah, and I'm assuming I really enjoyed the IDW ones, and hopefully Titan Comics can match or surpass what IDW did with the Doctor Who license. So uh, Titan Comics is um, is a, a independent publishing uh, company in the U.S. They they've been on the New York Times bestseller list with um, so. But I'm, I'm guessing that these will be available on both in the UK and the US, my assumption. It says right. they will be available to buy worldwide. Okay, so I guess that includes the UK. <laughs> Though they will be in American production. Yes. So. Unless the UK takes off on top of a space whale. Well, it could happen. <laughs> <laughs> It's been known to happen. Now for much better news. Yes. The 2014 National Television Awards, Doctor Who was triumphant with the show winning Best Drama and Matt Smith winning Best Drama Performance. And we have... And uh, David Tennant was uh, also nominated for TV Detective, but uh, Benedict Cumberbatch won that for Sherlock. You were saying you had a clip of Matt? Yes, we have a little bit of Matt speaking to the audience of the TV awards, the National Television Awards. National Television Awards. Um, thank you for this wonderful, marvellous award. It's an honour to be uh, in the same category as such fine, esteemed, wondrous actors. And uh, I'm sorry I can't be there to collect it in person. I would have, but I'm doing a play backstage at the moment. It says, it says quiet, be quiet. Um, um, so, yeah, thank you to everyone who voted. You made my time on who the best and the most brilliant and the most 
uh, audacious part of my career to date. So thank you. Uh, I am forever grateful. Have a great night. Enjoy the party. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I hope everyone did enjoy the party. I um, now the net is this um was televised in the UK, Dave? This National Television Award. Yes, it was. It was on. It was on tonight. I mean. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch um, also made a speech because uh, um, he was in San Francisco, I think. Uh, but obviously, because we're we're sticking firmly with Doctor Who here on this particular podcast, uh, we haven't included uh, his little speech. But he he was uh, just as funny as well. And um, one of the things David Tennant was also part and parcel in in one way nominated in the um, uh, in the the. Is it actuality or whatever it's called? The um, documentary series called uh, Penguins Spy in the Huddle because he was uh, the narrator of that. Oh, okay. Oh, was that the one with the egg cam? Yeah, with the egg cam and. Uh, I, I saw uh, a clip of the uh, the egg cam. That was a very uh, interesting shot. Yeah. By all those birds. I've seen photos. I thought I recognized that voice. Mm. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize, um, yeah, I, I didn't realize he was doing the narration for that. I, I didn't, I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I did see photos that were taken of the, um, yeah, done, you know, like sort of behind the scenes stuff. He's done a few documentaries. He did one about, I think it was about swarms, where they were talking about different swarms, where they, you know, the, the crabs that head for the, for the water and the, um, those, um, those beetles that burrow in trees and uh, uh, the different swarms that yeah mayfly swarms in the, he did a narration of that two three years ago so he has got a very uh, good mm-hmm. expressive voice for things like that. I think I've I've come across something I can't remember for the life of life of me right now but I, I know I think I came across something else which was distinctively his voice narrating something um, you know something like maybe something on PBS that I came across I don't remember what it was um, I think it was nature related but I. I don't know if it was part of the nature series or something, but yeah, I, you know, I, I think a lot, not, well, not, you know, not every, but a lot of doctor who, uh, former doctors have done s- similar narration work. I know, uh, Tom Baker even did a video game with, um, do, with a dolphin. I forget what the name what the video game was. Anyway. <laughs> Speaking of Tom Baker, didn't he just have a birthday recently? Yes. That was yeah, my segue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's uh, 80 years old. Congratulations and happy birthday, Mr. Baker. Mr. Tom Baker. I got to be clear because we got two Bakers, two Bakers in the house when when it comes to doctors. Yes, 80 years old. That's um, that's great. And uh, BBC Worldwide has a uh, little video clip of uh, Tom Baker about his role in Doctor Who. I never forget a face. I know you don't. But to be back doing Doctor Who was marvellous. I've never not been involved in Doctor Who since 74 when I did it. But I stayed with it so long because it was such fun to do, you know? And that's the only reason. Who knows? I'm now totally preoccupied with making this a joyous event because that's what the fans want. They want it to be joyous. When I got Doctor Who, I mean, they weren't asking me to do an impression of, Do- uh, of John Pertwee because, of course, the scripts in 1974 had been written for John Pertwee. 
who had a particularly sarcastic way of talking. That wasn't my way at all, you know, I wanted to try and identify myself with the character, which was a feeling of being a benevolent alien, and they liked what I did. The moment I got near the audience, the young people who were watching, I absolutely lapped up their adoration and, and what they thought about it. And if people said interesting things to me about what they liked, I used to give them more. It's 30 odd years since I finished with it, but I still get recognized and uh, everybody in the village calls me doctor and people on building sites still shout, hello doctor, which amuses me no end. Well, I believe in America, wasn't it? It was the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker's Doctor, that um, was forever the rollback starting episode. Robot, I think, was the one where whenever they went through the classics and then went back to the beginning, the beginning they went back to was always uh, Robot, I believe. The very few of the earlier Doctors got uh, uh, many looks in, but um, uh, his profile seems as high as ever uh, with those people that have come to Doctor Who uh, only in modern times. If if you asked anybody to describe the, the the doctor's outfit, invariably it would be with the hat and the the great long scarf. So, he's the the international emblem of Doctor Who, isn't he? Absolutely, yeah. Yes, I I remember in the New York area, his episodes were the first to be broadcast here. And if I'm not yes. mistaken, Mask of the Mandragora was the first one aired on WOR. Well, I wow. think Taras and I both have a shared history in that respect where I think uh, we both discovered Doctor Who on WOR back in the late 70s, Saturday mornings. Well, actually, it started out in the evenings and then it moved to Saturday mornings. Oh, did it? It started okay. out Saturday evening, I think, for... For, I don't know how long it was, but uh, I think it started out at 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. Before, like, a whole uh, block of British programming, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, like I said, I remember in, in, the, um, in the morning somewhere, like, I think I, I could be wrong or mistaken um, or misremembering somewhere, like, around 10 a.m., I was thinking eleven because I think it was after. It could have been eleven. Cartoons. It could, yeah. Well, should I mention the other one? Is a, um, a biography to be published, a Verity Lambert biography to be published. It will be published. Uh, well, it says next January, which is rather confusing in somewhat because the the story is breaking on the twenty first of January. Uh, but it says that it's to be produced next January. Uh, Drama and delight: the life of uh, the life and legacy of Verity Lambert, uh, being written by Richard Marson. Marson. So I'm assuming it may well be another 12 months then before it comes out. Unfortunately, she another one that succumbed to cancer in 2007, the age of 71. Uh, although maybe some people may th have thought she died at a younger age than that, but. Uh, that is still a very uh, tragic young age. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah. Uh, and this gentleman that's writing the biography, um, he wrote the Doctor Who, uh, uh, for the Doctor Who monthly magazine between uh, 1983 and 88. So he's familiar with the material mm -hmm. and familiar with Doctor Who and, uh, and there's other information. He's also the author of other several books relating to TV and Blue Peter and 
the life and scandalous times of John Nathan Turner. So he's obviously steeped in all the the background of uh, these things. So ably played, of course, by an actress we'll be talking about shortly. Yes, yes. Well, in in our in our review section. All right. Well, that's. Um, I think that that covers it for the news. So uh, we'll be right back with more Doctor Who Pachak with our review of Hide and Seek minus the and seek. Hi, this is Mike Tucker. I'm the visual effects designer on series one and two of Doctor Who, and you're listening to Podshot. Well, it may be early for Halloween, but haunted houses and spooky things are the theme for this episode of Doctor Who Podshocks, since, uh, you know, since we are reviewing Hyde in this episode. So we're going with something um, in, in that vein for our selection of the Audible selection for this week. And Audible, as you probably know, is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from in all genres, you know, be it thrillers, business, romance, comedy, and of course, sci-fi. They have, they have like 266 titles of Doctor Who alone. So um, Audible titles will play on your iPhone, your Kindle, Android, over 500 devices for listening anytime and anywhere. And for you, yes, you, Listeners of Doctor Who Pachak, Audible is providing, is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so you have a chance to check out their service. Now, if you decide it's not for you, keep that free 30-day trial. I mean, keep that, <laughs> keep the free audiobook from your trial so uh, you don't have to give it back. Um, and as always, we, we like to make a pick, a recommendation, but before I let you know which one that's going to be, to download your free audiobook, Simply go to audibletrial.com slash pawchalk. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash pawchalk for your free audiobook. And if you're listening in the car or driving, I understand you might not be able to um, memorize that URL or write it down. Simply go to pawchalk.net and you'll find links to it there as well. Now, this selection is Doctor Who and the demons or daemons however you like to pronounce it it's by it's it's based on the the target novelization of the episode it's by Barry Letts and it's narrated by Barry Letts as well the late Barry Letts and it's unabridged it's like a 6 hour audio book here for you again this is um um falls in line with the sort of the theme it's not it's not a haunted house per se but there's something going on at Devil's End. It's a third Doctor story. So it's, uh, it has unit in it and um, perhaps a certain master as well. I don't want to give anything away. So uh, <laughs> perhaps I already did. So let's hear a little bit of it from, from that audiobook. He could feel his heart thudding as he fell down, down, down into the heart of the brightest sun of all. Abruptly he awoke. The brightness was the brightness of the dawn. The thudding of his heart was the tread of heavy footsteps shaking the earth beneath him. He struggled to rise, but in vain. 
And as PC Groom drew his last breath, he recognized one of the giant beings from his dream as it indifferently crushed the life out of his body with one of its great hooves. With the sun at their backs, Captain Yates and Sergeant Benton, no longer in uniform, flew through the azure sky of the May Day morning. Phony helicopters weren't so blooming noisy, said the sergeant. By far the best way to fly. Time to look round. Even better than gliding, in a way. Mike Yates, concentrating on the map on his knee, was in no mood for small talk. Well, you have a look round, see if you can see the village, he said. We should be there by now. Right ahead, sir, Benton replied, in no way abashed. See the church? Mike looked for himself and soon made out the church tower nestling in the woods. But then something else caught his eye. Hello, what's that? Oh, it must be the dig. No, no, beyond that, going across that big field. A line of, well, they couldn't be hoof marks. Shall we go and look, sir? Yes, it better. The helicopter settled to the ground, noisily, softly, beating the grass flat with the force of its gentle descent. Mike and the sergeant jumped out and ran over to the line of curious indentations in the soft turf. They are, you know, said Benton, his voice tinged with awe. They're hoof marks. But they can't be. The animal that made these would have to be twenty or thirty feet tall. Benton followed the track with his eye. It's gone into that wood, sir. Well, whatever it is, it'll have to wait. Come on, first things first. And Mike turned and hurried back to the helicopter. Like um, breakfast, you mean, said the sergeant, following him. No, I don't, said Mike Grimm. I mean Joe and the dog. No sooner was the chopper in the air again than it started to descend once more and soon landed neatly in the very centre of the village green. Where's the red carpet then, said Benton as they climbed out, and the brass band? Yates looked around at the sleeping village. Hmm, after last night, I reckon they're entitled to a lie-in, he said. Out at the front door of the cloven hoof came a small figure, flying across the grass so fast her legs almost became a blur. Mike, Sergeant Benton, she gasped as she reached them. Boy, am I glad to see you too. Are you all right, Joe? said Mike, disentangling himself from her hug. Yeah, great. And the dog? Come and have a look. He's in the pub. They got him to bed. Is he any better? I think so, a bit, but he's still out cold. Oh, he'll pull through. You know what a tough old bird he is. Anyway, said Benton, you're both safe. That's the main thing. Joe stopped by the door of the pub. I don't think there's any danger here, she said, but out there. And she nodded in the rough direction of the distant barrow, her eyes filled with fear. Look, Joe, what is going on? asked Yates. I, I don't really know. Something really bad. You know, devilish. Mike caught the sergeant's eye. Those tracks? Look, sir, if you don't need me here, I'd like to do a quick recce. No need to alarm Miss Grant, his eyes said. Just fifteen minutes shifty round, he went on. Well, say twenty. Mike felt doubtful. Perhaps they ought to stick together. On the other hand, the sooner they got this lot sorted out, the better for everybody. 
Right, he agreed, but at the first sign of trouble, straight back here. Oh, do be careful, said Joe. Don't you worry, miss, said Benton cheerfully. I know how to look after myself. Come on, said Mike, let's go and see how the doctor is, and you can tell me the whole story. Yes, that's right. That's, um, that's Joe Grant there, the Benton and uh, Sergeant Yates, all from Unit. That's uh, Doctor Who and the Demons, or Damons, however you like to pronounce it. And that could be your selection, or you could choose whatever you like that Audible has to offer for free for your um, free um, audio book. Once again, to get your free audio book, simply go to uh, audibletrial.com slash podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Podshock for your free audiobook. Or you go to our website, podshock.net, and you'll be able to find the link to it there as well. What's wrong? Did the TARDIS say something to you? Are you being mean? No, it's not that. Have we just watched the entire life cycle of Earth birth to death? Yes. And you're okay with that? Yes. How can you be? The TARDIS. She's time. We... wibbly vortex. And so on. It's not what I mean. Okay. Some help. Context. Cheat sheet. Something? I mean, one minute, you're in 1974, looking for ghosts. But all you have to do is open your eyes and talk to whoever's standing there. To you, I haven't been born yet. And to you, I've been dead a hundred billion years. Is nobody out there somewhere? In the ground? Yes. I suppose it is. But here we are, talking. So I am a ghost. To you, I'm a ghost. We're all ghosts to you. We must be nothing. No. No. You're not that. Then what are we? What can we possibly be? You are the only mystery worth solving. Uh, welcome back to Dr. Who Podshock. And as you can tell from that clip, we're about to review Hyde, and as always, before we start a review, I have to uh, remind everyone... Spoilers. Spoilers. Again. Spoilers. 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 All right, so spoilers. there will be spoilers. Spoilers. And, uh, um, Lewis, are you telling us that there are going to be spoilers? Spoilers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, this is, um, we're... I'm sorry, Dave. I was just going to say, if they don't want to be spoiled, uh, just put this episode in a pocket universe until they're ready there to... There you go. Uh, I, I uh, always say, this. you know, you put this episode in your pocket until you've seen the episode, and now it's more appropriate to put it in a pocket universe. And and apparently there, there are lots of pocket universes out there. So <laughs> you got Gallifrey in one, and you got, I don't know where um you know it's just another i don't know <laughs> I, maybe it's you a, have another one that has the house the house yeah i mean i don't know if that's supposed to be earth or or what you know where that's supposed well, to be i was referring to another episode oh this one. 
All right. Okay. Because this that the house that does was in a pocket universe as well. Because the house does appear in this pocket universe too. The the. Well, the, a different house. The Calavern house. Yes. Before I start reviewing this, I'm uh, um, a little bit of news, lingering news, is that iTunes had contacted those that had purchased Day of the Doctor, no, not Day of the Doctor, um, Time of the Doctor, the, the Christmas special, saying that there might have been something wrong with the file and it's available to, to you, you know, they, they're recommending that you re-download it for free to avoid any issues. Now, I didn't notice any problems with my file, so uh, I still have to re-download. I'm going to re-download it anyway just to be safe. I had tweeted this or face, I put it on Facebook, whatever, and someone um, said that they had also received the same messages. So I'm assuming everyone, you know, who had down, who bought it from iTunes got this message. Uh, or maybe once they corrected the problem, anyone who had downloaded it before they corrected the problem got this message. And I had, set, I had replied to someone saying that, you know, I had gotten a similar message back in the spring with one of the um, stories. And I couldn't remember what episode it was. And I said, I, I don't know if I re-downloaded it because I had no problems with my with my episode. Now, for those that have been listening to Dr. Upachuk, you know, in the recent months after um, coming back after recovery from Sandy, I had mentioned that during last spring, I could only watch it on a standard definition TV. That was the only thing that I had available to me because my HDTV was packed into storage while we were rebuilding everything, so I didn't have access to it. Um, anyway, long story short was that when I came back to this episode, coincidentally, just now for our review, I um, I started watching it on my HDTV, you know, with digital Dolby sound. And if you, this episode, the first scene in it is, takes place in a, uh, you know, uh, like a, you see the, I think that the Caliburn house, you're traveling through it, um, but it's raining. It's it's like a thunderstorm. So there's rain sounds and um, and thunder sounds, and then they go in the house, and I'm still hearing the rain. Like I'm like I don't think this is right, and it just continues on through the whole episode. This like static sound. And I said, oh, this is something's wrong with this file. I bet this is the episode that, that they had recommended re-downloading. And sure enough, I re-downloaded it, and the audio was clean and proper on the um on the first one but it was only apparent on the digital track on the digital on the analog which i was watching on a standard definition was fine so i wasn't aware of the problems until um and you know until i was watching it on better equipment anyway long story short is that um another hint for those that that have to do this is to delete your previous file first because i didn't do that at first and i went to itunes trying to re-download it and it wouldn't let me download it <laughs> it, because it's assumed that you're, you know, it was already in iTunes, so it, that that wasn't available. That option to download was grayed out. So I had to delete the file first, then went back to iTunes, and I was able to re-download the file. So um, anyway, just a heads up about that for both this episode, perhaps. Um, I'm sure you've, um, if you had a problem, you probably have already accounted it with this episode, Hide. Or um, if you're having problems with... Um, the uh, time of the doctor, which, like I said, I, I didn't notice any problems with it, but some people said they had problems with it. So um, anyway, let's get into um, getting to hide without any further ado. It was it's written by Neil Cross, who um, who, who I discovered now had also written the bells of Akatine, Akatine? The rings. The rings. Of rings. <laughs> the rings. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, the it's another episode which 
All right, I'm getting a little giddy here. All right, and it's directed by Jamie Payne. And it's actually Are shot... Are Time Lords changing your face? <laughs> I'm sure they, they should be. Um, and it's it was it was actually shot before the the previous episodes that we've seen. This is um, Jenna Louise Coleman's first full episode as the companion. This was shot before we actually see the her her official introduction episode, which sometimes they do. You know, um, sometimes it might be just for logistics, but I sometimes I think they do it so that the character, the actress uh, or actor, if they, the case may be, because sometimes it's. Um, it could be a new doctor or whatever that they'll they'll shoot it so um, as was the case with Peter Davison they'll shoot it so that they can pretty much get themselves comfortable in the shoes of the character first before having their first televised story. Well, they did it with Donna, didn't they? They um, that was the Unicorn and Wasp, which was a in another historically based one because I'm assuming perhaps they think that that's a more naturalistic way to get in. But that clip that you just played a moment ago the conversation there she's entirely formed to my mind as a companion uh, so so well was that mm-hmm. dialogue that she gave there you wouldn't be think that was probably her first and longest narration mm-hmm. uh, speech as a companion because it's pitch perfect to my mind yeah i have and to s- what's interesting is that speech is talking about how uh she is just this little blip on the doctor's uh, timeline, but then we find out later in the uh, in the series that she's a bit more than just a blip on mm. his timeline. Yeah, and I, I thought that that dialogue was very interesting. You know, uh, you know, it's kind of turning the tables because usually, you know, Doctor Who's kind of told through the the eyes of the companion, and here. You know, we sort you know the companion is sort of turning the tables and seeing how the doctor may see, you know, uh, his companions, you know, as ghosts, you know, because um, he, he sort of exists outside of time, and and everyone that he's been with, it, you know, has in a sense died already in in a future sense where the doctor may may be one when he's in the future. So it's just. It's. I thought just. I. I thought this was actually the most interesting part of this of this story. Actually, I'm, I'm this grateful for that. This seems to echo when uh, David Tennant's Doctor and Wilf were discussing the, the similar mm-hmm. way, where Wilf thinks that uh, humans must look like insects to the Doctor, and the Doctor replies that he thinks that they that humans are giants. Mm-hmm. And also there's a reference there, you know, she says, do you think my grave's out there somewhere? And, of course, as we know, headlong, this series is um, is actually going towards trends a law. So uh, there's another thing that's sort of in the background of that speech. So, um, yeah, it, I, I think it's a very, very, very strong uh, passage. And just listening to the audio, you can sometimes focus and drill down onto some of these things that in the actual run of the episode uh, can get lost sometimes. Absolutely, yes. So so that was, like I said, that, that's probably one of my favorite aspects of this story of this episode. The other is that it takes place in 1974, and I think they really nailed that. I mean, I, as far as... Um, it, it takes place, like I said, in 1974, and all the equipment and, you know, all the gear and all the everything, the, the clothing, everything really kind of matches up. The to toggle switches. The toggle switches. 
So it, to the point where watching this episode, I'm I'm constantly thinking of like, like I'm thinking like the third doctor, John Pertwee is going to show up because it just has that flavor, that flavor of the of the Pertwee era so much in it, because obviously John Pertwee, you know, was in the early 70s. And that's, um, you know, which, you know, he, he ran from um, 1970 to 1974. So it had that that flavor and that essence and in fact, it sort of it sort of reminded me of Day of the Daleks because uh, which is a 1972 story, which is another haunted house themed episode similar to what we see here. Which is and there's also the one that aired the season before that, which was uh, the Demons. Yes, yes, that's true. Which was another one of those. Uh... Right. Um, well, I, I I agree and uh, and I disagree as well because. Um, I think you're absolutely right. The equipment and everything there looked 1970s, but in terms of the way the the two characters were 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 formally and stiff around one another, mm-hmm. and the the fact that, that we get those references, although it's never mentioned as the Second World War, we talk about he talks about him sending people off and uh, and uh, attacking submarines and even carrier pigeons are mentioned at one time. So we have to assume that. Uh, here's a, a man that, um, because of course, when the doctor's doing his resume of them, uh, and and um, his assistant thinks that he had a, a quiet wartime, he's not. He'd actually been in t- intelligence, probably at somewhere like Bletchley House or whatever, um, which would mean that um, we see we see. I mean, obviously, he's an older man. I mean, although she's very straight laced in the, in her dress and. I, and to me, she appears more from the 60s than the 70s. I think what it is is that they had that 70s equipment. So I think they probably set it in the 70s because they could have things like reel-to-reel tapes, which would have been difficult to have had 10 years prior to that, maybe. Um, not so easy. Um, but in actual fact, if you think about it, it, it the actor himself, uh, Duray Scott, mm-hmm. I think he's 47 when this is, a, uh, and he's playing a man approaching fifty, I think. It's assumed that, uh, and it's referenced later on that, you know, if he forgo, he, he forwent, uh, you know, having a partner and so on, and that's why he didn't mind taking the risks of war in some ways because he he had no personal life of his own. But if this is seventy four and the war ended in the, you know uh, nineteen forty five, he could have only been maybe nineteen or twenty, right towards the end of the war. So it's it's at the very limit uh, of the time constraints to assume that he'd he'd worked in that sort of uh, situation, and, and it does seem to be from the Second World War, not the Cold War that followed on after that. Uh, so that is a little bit of a stretch. There's one scene where he 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 didn't he says he didn't talk to it. He says to the doctor, um, um, "I sent young men to their deaths." Uh, and, and, and he, he said he said now, young it, men and women to his death. So that yeah, you know, yeah, which yeah. kind of stuck out to me, thinking that because I mean, obviously um, they were women in in World War Two, but they weren't really on the on on the you know the battle line, you know, at that time. Well, the, it's, I think he's talking about spies. I think he's talking about I see, I see. The, the young women that went over as spies. But the thing is, I think just a, a different word there would have helped if he just said. Because uh, one of the things is he has guilt that he survived. He has a survivor's mm-hmm. guilt. Yeah. Uh, I think it would have been better if he just said, I sent other young men. In other words, he was there safe at Bleshley House. I, I think the on. character was supposed to be older because if you look at the uh, what little uh, 
sketches they uh, posted on the site after the episode aired, the uh, storyboard, the uh, character looks a lot older than what we see with the actor that was eventually cast in the role. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I mean, she's only supposed to be about 28, but in those days, you know, they're already considering themselves an old maid at 28. I mean, I mean, like, you know, uh, I mean, my sister was engaged at 20, married at 21, and all her friends were married, those that, that, that ended up in marriage anyway, yeah. by the time they were 23. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, Absolutely, so yeah. somebody at 28, it assumed if that's passed them by almost. But anyway, just to say the point, I think they, they, they picked the 74 because of the, the equipment that they could show and use and the, uh, and the fact that the doctor could interface with it and so on. Uh, but it, it was stretching it out. The way they were, were socially together, it seemed a little bit more uh, closeted, more, more like the early 60s before the Beatles hit town, as it were. Mm. Well, another connection I'm, you know, to the, to the John Pertwee era was the Metabulous Three crystal, which um, which was first seen, I think, in the Green Death uh, um, John Pertwee story. Yes. Well, uh, well yeah. Sorry, I'm going to again. I'm going to uh, disagree on that. Yes, it's a crystal from Metabulous, but if you notice when he when he brings his equipment out, there's a long, elongated, very pale blue thing. That he says that it's something like an extension to the Eye of Harmony. It's mm -hmm. sort of on the cables. And then when he mentions the the the, the crystal, the blue crystal, he actually picks up the headset, and it's the small blue crystal that that goes against the woman's forehead. Yeah. And he mm -hmm. says this: the blue crystal will extension. But that's only a little small crystal. So I think that's not the you know the all important crystal from. You know, the one well, it spied. wasn't the perfect blue crystal that uh, featured in. Yeah, the hexagonal shape one. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't. I just assumed it was another one. I didn't assume it. I, I just took it that the doctor may have gone back there and gotten more. <laughs> I what know. I think was funny, though, is the amount of nerd rage we we saw on certain corners of the internet <laughs> yeah. about the uh, pronunciation of metabolis. Well, that, that I was I'm only going to point that out because right? our first watching that I didn't catch. It was, I didn't, I, you know, on first watch, I didn't realize it was a metabolis three because the way Matt Smith was pronouncing it, it, it didn't, you know, it didn't, it, it, it was only like on the second viewing that it clicked in that what, what it was about, what it was. Yeah, it must be it must be the writer Neil Cross because he gave him troubles with the uh, Rings of Akatan, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, very atmospheric. Starts off with a little bit of a joke. I don't know if you want to play a little fourteen second joke there, Lewis. But uh, we sort of um, <clears throat> got the rather whimsical entry of the Doctor this time. The Ghostbusters. Boom! <laughs> Hello. I'm looking for a ghost, and you are. Ghostbusters. <laughs> I'm expecting to hear the Ghostbusters theme, not, not instead of Doctor Who after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to yeah. believe Ghostbusters uh, I mean, is uh, it, it, nine years after you know the setting of this is um, you know it, it, first I know when your younger time distorts you know like uh, I remember being a kid and like summer felt like forever and now i blink and summer's over so uh i just, it just seems like that you know don't 19, blink don't blink don't exactly. even blink 
Right. So it just seems like from the, the time between 1974 and 1983, uh, no, um, uh, actually, didn't Ghostbusters come out in 1984? So it's more like 10 years, I think. Could well be. Could or, well be. Anyway, it, it just it seemed like it was uh, a lot longer than, than that time span. But anyway, and it's, it's interesting, you know, nonetheless. Now we, we I think we thought uh, I think it was Taras that brought it in that last week's episode Cold War was a bottle episode. Well, in effect, we've had another bottle episode here, haven't we? We've we've got a very small cast. But we, we're going to uh, absolutely <laughs> fabulous cast. But we're going to get into bottle episodes later and feedback. I wouldn't say this is a bottle episode um, because there. I think what and I, I don't want to speak on behalf of Taras, but I think what his um, what what he had said with Cold War was. More or less that we were confined within the submarine. There weren't any outdoor shots, um, location shots, really. It was all pretty much all in in one set of the of the interior of the submarine. You know? I, I used uh, base under siege. Type, right. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but we'll we'll yeah. get more. We'll get we'll return on this topic later on in feedback because we have a feedback to that point. Okay. But again, I mean, for General Louise Coleman to be but, actually come on the set and, and then be presented by, you know, such great acting as Dune Ray Scott and, uh, and as we know, this Jessica Rain can act. I thought it was uh, was was really a well-crafted episode, um, although... Mm-hmm. Um, well, anyway, y- you take over, Louise, and I'll follow. Oh, <laughs> you giving me the wheel? <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 because I thought you think I thought I was jumping too oh, far ahead. Oh no, no, you're not not at all. Everyone, everyone's free to jump in any time that they like. So, um, so yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Dave. I thought it was very well crafted. I think uh, again, uh, technical merits, you know, are to all those that deserve it. I, I didn't have any problems in that respect. The story, though, it just it it was slow paced and. You know, I have to say that there just didn't seem like enough there to really hold my interest um, throughout it all. It just seemed a little, I, I mean, it, it might just be the topic, the subject matter of, of ghosts and all that, where, you know, we've, I don't know, we've seen this so many times before in, in science fiction and, you know, where 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 there's ghosts and it turns out not to be ghosts, but some, some other logical explanation and you know so it's it didn't really seem that original it, it is what it is i mean um i just i, I just felt it, the pacing was kind of slow and it just wasn't enough in it to really capture me we we um as dave had said the two char- the two characters of the um of the the, the caliburn house um professor alec palmer and emma grayling i think they they worked well together and they were somewhat interesting but we you know when we learn that there's that the ghost is really a time traveler. I really didn't really, you know, we didn't get to know her, and or feel much for her. I, I didn't really. And then there's this creature that um, that kept on appearing behind trees. This this um, uh, I don't know. Um, the they, they called man, it the they call the, the crooked man, but it was more like some sort of. It wasn't really explained what it, what it was, you know, and. Uh, I, you know, an alien being, or I don't know what it is, but anyway, so. Well, it was explained. It was two alien beings. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the end. There was one in the house and one in the pocket universe, and their story kind of mirrored Emma's and 
Professor Palmer's story where they were beginning to realize that they were really in love and those two were broken apart. So what we got instead of a ghost story was a love story. So the, yeah. uh, the, 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 the creature's mate was on in our universe. So the doctor had to, in the end, had to bring that creature's mate back to this pocket universe where this other creature is. Yeah, it, it seemed rather contrived in, in that sense. Uh, it, it, what had happened is that the when she'd crossed over into that pocket universe, presumably some exchange of matter, uh, it yeah, had been released. That's so what I assume It had as got well. ejected. But the point is that one of the things that the doctor had said is that these, this apparition, and again, it was Clara who noticed this, she was the observant one, that in each of these photographs are uh, images that have been captured. She's always in the same pose, as though she was being caught in the same second, a few mm -hmm. seconds. Um, and the doctor then says, well, the time in this dimension is going, you know, what, one or two seconds could be 100,000 yeah. years. But then that begs the question, if the, one of this alien creatures was in our world, that's aged 100 million years, uh, uh, while its partner's only been in the pocket universe. So that didn't work too well for me. Timey-wimey. Yeah. Um, to me, this... this reminded me well it reminded me of a lot of stories but it it, it reminded me of uh, like the Lazarus experiment which I actually I really enjoyed the Lazarus experiment but what I didn't like was the creature of the monster <laughs> that he became after going through that thing I, I thought that CGI I, monster was awful I you know what Dave I'm laughing um, because I, I was watching this and I was thinking of you and I was thinking of, of, of your feelings about that creature and I saw a similar parallel there myself all right. And the same with Vincent the Doctor. Vincent the Doctor I, is one of my exactly. top five. I, I, I thought the same thing. I, you know, ruined, ruined by everything. Because I, I, we go to that story with Vincent, I didn't really think it was necessary to have that creature. And I, and I felt similar to this. This was just, you know, they seem to go out, of your, go out of the way to make this like a scary haunted house type of episode. Gross, yeah. You know, sort of like a Halloween episode, if you will. And, um, and I think that's really the only purpose that this creature serves. And even at the end, this episode just ends. At, at the end of the episode, we don't, you know, we know that he's bringing the other, the, the mate to this creature, which we assume is on the TARDIS, but we don't see it. And there's really no explanation on anything after that. So we don't really need any explanation, but it just didn't, I don't know. I, I, I didn't really feel well, anything for it. I see this episode, I see this episode as a uh, key uh, piece of the puzzle for what became the latter half of series seven, where you have both uh, Clara and the doctor trying to figure out who each other is, where you have Clara getting a warning from Emma mm. about the doctor and the doctor questioning Emma about who is Clara, because mm -hmm. that's the mystery of this half of the series, who is Clara? And I thought that was great because that, I mean, the, the episode did turn quite clearly at the end because, I mean, the doctor, I mean, the psychic says, you didn't come here for the monster, did you? You didn't come here for the ghost. You came here because she wanted, she wanted Clara to be vetted, as it were, by this telepath uh, to see if she could throw any light. And, of course, she says she's an ordinary girl. She's, as we know, uh, the funny thing was that 
uh, that, again, spoilers, but we know that Clara was splintered through time, and yet the she's warned that, like Taras was, set, Taras was saying, the, the Doctor has a splinter in his heart. A sliver now, of ice. A sliver of ice. A sliver of ice, yeah, but, yeah, another... Uh, yeah. It's equally... But, um, <laughs> it does, doesn't matter. It's, yeah. Now, which heart is that? His left heart. Well, that's it. She didn't... She didn't <laughs> She didn't spot that he had two hearts, did she? No. Uh, but one of the other things that... Um, I mean, I, I was on board as soon as I heard the Doctor sort of mention quantum foam and pocket universes. I mean, that's for me, you know, <clears throat> some science fiction in my programme. I know people say that Doctor Who isn't science fiction, uh, and I know it isn't science fiction, but I always like the ones that have mm -hmm. that element in it. Yeah. Um, you know, did the robot, Patrick ro Troughton encounter a lot of foam? Yes. <laughs> was it the ice war? It was, but you know, like uh, no, the seeds of seeds of death. There was a, quite a few of them where yeah. there was foam. Uh, um, but you Fury know, like, from the deep had foam. Right, There's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, but I mean, I like them like that, right? Robots of death and things like that, where they're. You know, there's a little bit of a. You know, you're on an alien planet, so. On. But what I uh, I would have preferred and uh, I've said this before that um, because this woman was an explorer uh, and obviously she gets trapped in this pocket universe what I would have liked was if she had actually gone to this pocket universe because the person that had gone before her who is sort of the first explorer had gone there and that crooked man in actual fact wasn't an alien but was another uh, you know, another time traveler like her that but had got um, because they hadn't perfected the technique, he'd arrived, you know, w with his body because to me it looked like a human body with all the bones in the wrong place. Yeah, it seemed like a deformity. That's what it looked like. Yeah, it, yeah somebody out of proportion. Yeah, looks somebody had been on a transmat machine or a, a transporter in the star, you know, yeah, star Trek world, accident, yeah. and had arrived. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I would have preferred it if, in actual fact, that uh, if they wanted a love story, why that hadn't been her husband, you know, and she'd gone in to try and get him out, as it were, but not recognise that that... She still could have had the screaming and the frightening because she may not have made the connection that that creature was actual fact her loved one. Uh, and then maybe the doctor would have found some way of, you know, um, bringing him back to normality in some ways. But um, there's an awful lot to recommend this story, and uh, I thought it held my interest all the way through. There's some great effects, even the very simple effect of when the doctors walk in and find the coal spot in the house. You know, literally, you know, you see his breath, and you don't see his breath. You see his breath. Uh, very simple effect. You know, you're in New York. You're in a nice warm place. You're in New York. You're in a nice warm place. You know the feeling, Lewis. I wish I did. <laughs> it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cold. I I thought there was some holes here. I there, and I don't mean just the the portal or whatever going from the our universe to the pocket universe, but we've it was established early on that that the equipment there that the reason why he had this in, uh, this empath telepathic empath there was that that was the only way that this equipment was able to document what they thought was a ghost. 
And yet then the doctor goes, once the doctor sees these photos, and, and like you said, Clara mentions that she's always in the same pose, it's sort of like a, maybe like a, a, a frame of a movie, you know, where it's just a slice of time and, it, and it's always the same, you know, shot, maybe different positions or different angles, but it's the, he's, she's always in the same position. Um, so he has the idea that she's traveling in time and this is um, just one sliver of time that we're seeing throughout the years. So he goes back to the beginning of Earth and then the end of Earth and documenting it this all with with the camera that he took from um, the professor there. Oh. But there's no, but the empath isn't with her. So somehow he's making this work. Maybe because the doctor's telepathic or whatever. Maybe he's partially empathic. I don't know. But it seems to work when he's doing it without the empath. Says- so, well, it was said that says- objective equipment can record. Mm. Now, in uh, but, to the psychic. but how does he know? How does he learn the name? Because then he comes back and he says, "Yeah, she's a time traveler, and her name is uh, what was her name? Some weird name." Um, uh, Hella. Did, well, did, uh, didn't they? She have a name tag. I didn't see yeah. it. Maybe she does. So, yeah, on a uniform. Yeah, um, yeah. This, I mean, unfortunately, Ian's not with us. He's uh, nursing his. Uh, his, uh, his war wound, his, uh, his yeah. recent surgery. But um, one of the things I know, he would be jumping in and banging the table. Dave, mention it for me, Dave. Mention it for <laughs> me, Dave. Um, why that camera survived. Because he goes out... Uh, by the way, uh, some references to the Ten Doctors thing. Uh, that suit is the same suit that he wore, you know, when he, he faced the, yes. the devil. Yeah, the, the, um, the space suit you're talking the, about. The, 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 the beast. planet suit. Yeah. Yeah, that orange suit. And also one of the things... One of the things I liked at the end when the doctor says, I'm thick, because the tenth doctor used to bang his head and said, I'm thick, I'm thick. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it was great. But, yeah, why that why that camera survived? Because he, he was... Inv- he, even when he came back inside the TARDIS, he said to, you know, Clara, don't even touch the outside of his suit, because the outside of his suit was red hot. So how that well, camera survived... my camera has survived from the 70s, so it's the Ooh. modern equipment that breaks down. Yeah. Well, maybe a good point. They are Ian. They don't. They don't Paris make them like they used to. The problem, <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, more modern yeah. stuff is made with plastic, where in the past it was made with metal, and, well, and it's the same thing with you know workshop tools and whatever. The, um, the they were. I, I know. I, I sound like a, a, a grumpy old man now, but back in the day, they built things to last. You know, <laughs> today um, yeah, it might so have been much. the film he was talking. Perhaps he thought the. F- he perhaps thought the film would have combusted or something like that. Um, but um, perhaps we ought to have another clip and then... Ah, uh, oh, yes, it, clips! It, it just helped prompt your mind. <laughs> I forgot we had clips. <laughs> All right, here we go. Can't you just, you know... What? Fly the TARDIS into a parallel universe. Ah, it's not a parallel universe. It's a pocket universe. Plus, it is collapsing. I mean, the TARDIS could get in there, right? But entropy would bleed her power sources, you see, trap her there until the entire universe decayed back into the quantum foam, which would take about three minutes, give or take, you know. What is that? Subset of the Eye of Harmony. I don't. Of course you don't. Be great if you did, I'd better do it myself. Right, you, sit down. All the way from Metabolis 3. Oh, what does it do? It amplifies your natural abilities like a microphone or a pooper scooper. 
What exactly is this arrangement? A psychochronograph. Forgive me, but isn't it all a little bit, well, make do and mend? Non-psychic technology won't work where I'm going. Listen, all I need to do is dive into another dimension, find the time traveller, help her escape the monster, get home before the entire dimension collapses and Bob's your uncle. Doctor, will it hurt? No. Well, yes, probably. A bit. Well, quite a lot. I don't know. It might be agony. To be perfectly honest, I'll be interested to find out. And indeed, it is agony. <laughs> well, she was in a lot of yeah. pain, it seemed. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, it mentions about the crystals there. Um, still wincing at that, I'm afraid. Um but um, the, the, I mean, they did seem to stay rather longer in this other dimension than than, than was mentioned. We, I mean, the, the the TARDIS goes in there at least twice because uh, it goes in the second time. But we have an awful lot of uh, information uh, there. I actually think uh, I mean because I I watched this story just prior to us recording again tonight, and it's some while since I've seen it, and I thought it it. it held together and glued together better than I thought. I thought there were actually more inconsistencies, but if you actually listen to it carefully, uh, those inconsistencies aren't quite as severe as you might think. It did seem to, as I say, take a little bit of a turn at the end when it suddenly, as Tara said, it, it suddenly it, it becomes a love story at, at, at mm -hmm. the end. Uh, so you think you're watching a ghost story, then it's, um, you know, it's this um, uh, situation about this this time travel and then we have this um the connection that they had was through not a psychic so much but the fact uh, of through blood that this was their great 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 granddaughter or whatever yeah. and of course it's it's the penny's not even dropped with the uh, professor uh, at that point oh does that mean we um get together yeah because we also have as well this uh, theme about um uh, the TARDIS not really accepting Clara, don't we? This is, again, spoilers him somewhat, but all the way up to, you know, the very uh, the Christmas episode in a way, uh, when the TARDIS um, still seems to have this issue with Clara. Though, in, isn't it uh, Day of the Doctor? She seems to be in full control of the TARDIS. You know, snapping her fingers to close the doors and. Um... You know, when she arrives in the motorcycle on, on the TARDIS. Though it's interesting here, you see the TARDIS speaking, speaking with her through a, a, you know, through that holographic projection, which we've seen on occasion, you know, since, um, since the Doctor Who has returned to TV. Now, that should have given Clara a bit of, well, it did give her a bit of the creeps, but of course, the, 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 the construct that the TARDIS was using was not this Clara, Presumably it was the Clara from, you know, the Asylum of the Daleks. Because well, it, it, it's if seen we look before. at the, uh, the future episode, we'll see that uh, Clara has been with the TARDIS throughout the whole time of the Doctor's travels. So right. the TARDIS really should know Clara. Ah, that's an even better explanation. Thank you. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and should it just... could be that the TARDIS is confused by Clara just the same way that the TARDIS was confused by uh, Captain Jack in trying to shrug him off back in uh, the finale to, which was it, Series 3? Oh, in um, Utopia, yeah. In that three-part story. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, it was a three-part story, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've just uh, noticed something that is slightly off track from that, but um, uh, one of the things I mentioned earlier about the setting and about the musing, you know, historical setting to sort of ease the companion in, and I mentioned uh, the episode Unicorn and the Wasp for the Donna character. Mm -hmm. uh, I just noticed that uh, Jessica... Uh, Rain, uh, I should say, um, the actress uh, Jessica Rain playing this part. Her, her partner in real life is Tom Goodman Hill, and he played the vicar in the uh, Unicorn and the Wasp. I hadn't noticed that before. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, uh, the, the separation. The vest before the vest before form. Yeah, um, six degrees of separation uh, in this in this story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this story had a real Quatermass feel to it. I like that, yeah. I, I think that was intended by the author. Wasn't he, um, I, I thought I read that yes. somewhere, that he was trying to get that, that feel. I yeah. think he originally wanted the doctor to meet Bernard Quatermass, but uh, for copyright reasons, that was not possible. Right. And have we got any sort of echo to uh, City of Death in this one? You know, with the uh, Scaroth, is it? Um, mm -hmm. And the and the, uh, the 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 spread of that through time through a, a, a spaceship crashing uh, back in the back in the early development of Earth. Yeah, that's no. Uh, I think not. that I think that's more the later story than uh, than this one, as far as. The splintered through time in different uh, locations. Right. Right. We we hear the cloister bells in this episode of the TARDIS sounds. Now this was um, I, I'm assuming that was um, had to do with the Doctor being trapped in this pocket universe that the the the, the TARDIS was alarmed. I'm not too sure whether the TARDIS wasn't alarmed for its own safety as well at this point. Right, because the pocket universe is supposed to drain the TARDIS. Mm. I thought that was only if the TARDIS went there. That's well, it had already been once, hadn't it? I w at that point, I wasn't sure. I can't remember now if it's if I had. I know it's, it was there twice, but I wasn't sure where the cluster bells sounded was before or after that. Right. Go for it. What's this now? The TARDIS voice visual interface. I'm programmed to select the image of a person you esteem. Of several billion such images in my databanks, this one best meets the criterion. Oh, well, you are a cow, I knew it. Whatever, you have to help the doctor. The doctor is in the pocket universe. You can enter the pocket universe. The entropy would drain the energy from my heart. In four seconds, I'll be stranded. In ten, I'll be dead. You're talking, but all I can hear is meh, 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 meh. Come on, let's go! Doctor. Can you hear me? Doctor. Oh, come on.
What do you want? <laughs> the timing on that clip. Yeah, lo lovely. Yeah, lovely sound clips there. But like, yeah. So the 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 tar the cloister bell was was trying when it was already when the doctor was there, wasn't he? Yeah. And um, by the way, the the uh, I, th I, th I don't know if you mentioned the the viewing total. There's only five million people watched it live. Six point six one million in total. Uh, but it got an API rating of eighty five, which you know anything over eighty is considered good. Now, is that out of a hundred? I mean, that that uh, that the appreciation rating. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very very rarely gets beyond ninety eight eight eighty eight eighty nines pretty much mm -hmm. as high as it goes, although I'm sure we'll get feedback now to say that episodes such and such had 94 approval rating, but I mean, yeah, anything over 80 is considered excellent. And the bulk of this uh, season was 84s and 85s, the second half of Series 7. Mm. And Tom Baker's 80, so that's... um. Uh, just drawing parallels to our news segment. You know, there, there's, there is, uh, coincidentally, you know, we don't plan the news, obviously. If we could, you know, <laughs> we, we would uh, we'd be time lords ourselves. But it's, No deaths. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah. Didn't that had, happen in Torchwood Miracle Day? I, I'm, yes, yeah. So we had uh, <laughs> uh, Verity, Limit, uh, Verity Lambert's uh, biography, um, you know, in our news, you know, about that being published, and uh, which kind of relates to the stories in some... Um, as as um, Dave had mentioned, Jessica Rain played her in um, Adventures of Space, Adventures in Space and Time, um, just recently in November. They talked to drama about the uh, beginnings of Doctor Who. Um, we had um, in our news, we had the, the set news of Jerome Willis, who um, passed away. Um, who's um, he, he played uh, Stevens in the Green Death. Which the Metabulous Three Crystal, where the Doctor obtains the Metabulous Three Crystal, which is features in this story. So um, anyway, just speaking of degrees of separations here. Indeed. Yeah. Speaking of degrees, what are your guys' uh, final opinions on this episode? I think I'm on the record for saying that I'm I, I wasn't too keen on this on on the writer's other outing on Doctor Who, which was the the Rings of Acatine. Um which I think I gave one out of out of five TARDIS groans. I'm, I like this a bit more, which I did. Um, I really, as I said, I, I enjoyed the scene there where um, when Clara kind of turns the table on the Doctor and on how he sees his, um, you know, his companions, and um, I also just like the feel of this, the, the the essence of this story where it's taking place in 1974, and I think it captures that era very well, but. In in the end, I, I felt a little empty. I just felt, you know, I, I can't really say, oh, if it only had this or that, or whatever. But it just didn't just didn't seem to have enough to to keep me excited. And um, and like I said, maybe just is the theme and that we've seen this before or or, or the pacing. So uh, I, I'm going to give it two out of five Tardis groans. Um, like I said, I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. So, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I, I stand with this. So, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll watch it from time to time again. I really can't say that I'll do the same with the, the Rings of Akatan, though. David? Okay. Uh, well, I, I'm going to be much more generous than that. I thought it was, 
I mean, to me, it was extremely well acted. It was a class act. Uh, I admire even more uh, Jenna Louise Coleman, or Jenna Coleman, uh, for her performance in this. Intimidating as that must have been, she hit the ground running. We, uh, I didn't know when I first watched it, I don't think, uh, that this was actually her full uh, performance. Um, the atmosphere, the... And obviously, we are... I suppose, look, in the UK, we we have these sort of uh, old buildings lying around, grade one and grade two listed buildings. So it, it's perhaps easier to dress a set like this as a, uh, you know, um, shabby chic, as they call it, these tumble-down stately hobbles or homes. Uh, getting... Uh, we've always said that they've... Doctor Who must have a great residence with British character actors because they all seem willing to come on it. I mean, Dune Ray Scott, I mean, uh, never mind his TV credits, um, uh, the films that he's been in, I mean, um, uh, all sorts of films that he's been in. Um, but um, I, I, I thought the two characters played that sort of... Um, uh, character, although I, I do think there's a slight mismatch between how how they were portrayed in terms of their their style of of, of uh, you know um, croakishness or whatever it was or you know the the fact that they they couldn't. I mean, if this was, um, I mean, I know we talk about the swinging sixties, but really. Um, it, uh, 70s were definitely more liberated. I think this girl was definitely much more constrained uh, and they were both playing it more like a 60s. But I think it was the, to do with the actual technical equipment that they set it in the 70s. Um, I, I thought the atmospherics were great. Um, I thought that um, uh, the whole idea of the pocket units was great. I think Matt Smith uh, has one of his good performances here. Not to say he isn't good, but what I mean is he's not... It, 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 he held back a little bit on the silly business, but uh, some of the profound bits that he did were excellent. Um, not not my observation. I think it was Darth's observation that um, this would be for any any group that wanted to sort of put a stage production on of a Doctor Who episode. Uh, and in that sense, I'm thinking it was a bottle episode. This is something that you could actually put on as a stage play, as a live performance somewhat. Um, and I thought that was excellent. I did feel as though it sort of uh, took a bit of a, a left turn, to quote another Doctor Who title, in, in the way it went at the end. But then we were, it was always rather clever that the writers said that, you know, uh, the, the, we know that the TARDIS takes the Doctor where he needs to be in many cases, so uh, the assumption, at least for this listener, was that the TARDIS had brought them here because of this ghost, our supposed ghost, and that was why they'd suddenly shown up there. But it wasn't. The Doctor had intentionally got there, which actually makes more sense to the early part of the story where where he knows the backgrounds of these two people. You know, he'd researched them, and that's why he passes himself off as um, basically MI6 or whatever it is, you know, his internal investigations, just checking what they're up to. Uh, because... Um, you know, the Dune Scott character says, you know, yes, he's certainly got the demeanour uh, of, of one of these guys and, and therefore they didn't question his... Um, uh, credentials. Credentials, exactly. Mm -hmm. There's no psychic papers shown as far as I remember. Uh, so I thought that was great. I just feel as though that monster... Uh, I don't know why it had to be so gruesome and I still think it would have worked better on a more purely scientific basis of that was... Uh, if it wanted it to be a love story, that the the girl 
and that creature was a, a human that was disfigured by the first experimentation. She'd gone in there looking for the first time traveller and mm -hmm. not made the realisation that, that this creature... And though, I thought that. I also remember thinking when I first watched it that when the Doctor says he's going to find them somewhere to live, I actually thought that the next episode, and I don't think we're, we're going to talk into the next episode, but I thought the next episode they may actually sort of, you know, have those two creatures on board and sort of stopped off somewhere. It would have been nice, you know, that um, uh, th there are some series where you have, mm -hmm. uh, where where you don't actually see the story, you know, the, do the doctors... Uh, for instance, let's say, let's go back to Blink, and I, I won't talk too long, but, like, at the end of Blink, when Doctor and Martha are walking past Sally Sparrow's shop uh, and she sees them and realises the way they find out what to do is because she's done all the documentation because she's been trying to figure it out and so she gives him the the folder with all the information and she says, you know, sometime soon, I don't know whether it's happened to you yet or it's going to happen to you in the future, you're going to get stuck in 1969 and you need this. And they and the doctor's got a bow and arrow on his back and they're, they're running off to slay something. Now, we never we never see that story, but but to me in mind that's great. It would have been nice if you know mm -hmm. they do little things like that where we don't see the story. Um, but is I, that I'm, the only thing that uh, Stephen Moffat didn't uh, tie up in the uh, <laughs> anniversary episode? Oh, do some more. <laughs> <laughs> but let me let me quickly get because uh, we've got a little bit of time constraint here now. I think I would say for the acting. I'd give it a four out of five. Um, I think that it's got a little bit of nitpicking I can do with the thing, but I just, I mean, those two, well, the four, the four main actors, I thought were pitch perfect, and 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 kudos to, as I say, uh, Gemma Coleman coming in amongst that sort of uh, class of actor, and I mean, I don't know how much Jessica Rain had done before this, but certainly. Well, no, probably only going back five five years or so. So absolutely top-notch performance. And I, I'm wondering whether it was her performance in this that got her selected for the Verity Lambert role. They're uh, very different characters. I mean, selected. obviously, Verity Lambert is a real person, but they're very different. I mean, she did... Yeah, but, she, yeah, she, but she was got that, she's got that... She, yeah, she did great in both. I mean, I, I'm yeah. not taking anything away from her. She's got that reserve, that sort of um, sort of slightly snooty, uh, uh, you know, school, mm. uh, grammar school girl perceived uh, received English accent. That, well, she uh, is slightly in haughty. Call the midwife. Yeah. Which is oh, right. uh, a pretty uh, popular BBC One drama. Not something I watch, but yeah, I'll take your word She's for that. She's actually the lead character in that. Right. Well. Uh, all round, I think I think that elevates it to a four. The story uh, is probably a three out of five, but I think the acting brings it up to a four for me. Dave, I, th I think your version I like better. I think if they did more with, you know, having that that creature maybe being uh, a failed experiment, or you know, having I don't know something more to do with this time travel and who she's, you know, what she's about and where she came from, and I don't know, just it just. It seemed like it was lacking, and, and uh, you know there wasn't enough there. wasn't yeah. enough meat on the bone for me. A bit contrived. Yeah, it was a bit contrived. I thought that that thing, and and that creature would have had to have lived for millions of years on Earth, while only a few seconds 
had gone by for its mate. So yeah, I mean, that, that, I think that was really my problem was that there's there was a lot of good stuff in it, but just wasn't enough there for me to. Uh, in the end, it, I just came out feeling still hungry after that episode. Like I, the, there was just something missing, and maybe like you said, if there was more to it, um, I might have liked it better. And as, as you know, as 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 much as it pains me to say, as a vegetarian, there wasn't enough meat on the bone for me. <laughs> I really liked that this was like a small story where you didn't have the whole universe in the balance. You yes. just had a few characters in a spooky setting and they discover what's going on and they help save somebody who's trapped. And then in doing that, they find that there's something else there in addition to the the person that's trapped. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that was a nice little self-contained story which doesn't have the whole world being threatened by some huge army or something of that nature which is always good so it was a nice kind of more reminiscent of an old uh doctor who story Mm -hmm. sort of like the uh uh my brain just froze uh, the horror of Fang Rock, for example, where you just mm-hmm. have the lighthouse mm-hmm. and one creature in the lighthouse that's uh, being dealt with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just... so, so I really like that it brought it down to to that s- small scale. And th- the atmosphere was really enjoyable with like the spookiness. They really did a good job with that. But one thing I noticed, uh, uh, in fact, they, they took the spookiness a little bit inside the TARDIS because, again, this was one of the first ones she did. I'm wondering whether the set of the TARDIS was fully complete because I don't know if you noticed, but it was it, it, it was quite... Uh, there was like a pea super fog inside the TARDIS. You couldn't really see... Uh, the, there's not a good definition of, of, of the surrounding part of the TARDIS, so... I'm wondering whether that was still under construction at the time. Hmm, I, I didn't, didn't take note of that. I don't know. All right, well... Um... So, yeah, successful episode, I thought. I, I, I'm surprised that you're that harsh on it, Lewis. Um, but on the other hand, if you... I mean, it rings the back It seems to be... Like, but so I, far... Not, I gave two, but... So far, where we are right now, it seems to be a bit of a roller coaster ride for me. For with with this, you know, I um I I enjoyed um the, I guess that's that's where I got the bells from last time. The the, the bells of Saint John, uh, and then um and that was a high for me. And then uh, the the rings of Akatan was a low. And then um, then we're back with another high with Cold War. And then this is now another low. I mean, I I, I don't mean to make it sound like I hate it. I didn't. I did not hate it. I just felt there just wasn't enough there for me. And um, it, it, I, I mean, I, there's a lot to like about it, but there just wasn't enough for me to love about it. Okay. All right. Well, I, I guess know, we've exhausted. Yeah, I was just going to say, I know you don't give, we won't ask you your TARDIS groans because um, you don't do TARDIS groans to ask. So. Um, but I, I think overall... You found it enjoyable. I really like this episode, yes. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess what we can do is we can move to feedback then. 
And as always, uh, we always enjoy hearing your feedback um, or, or reading your feedback, as it may be, um, any way you care to express it. Since it is an audio podcast, we do prefer audio feedback. And you could send your, uh, you could record something on your own and send it to us, or you could use the pot, the Doctor Who Podshock public call box, which um, has a new number since the new year, is uh, 206-337-4699. Again, that's 206 337 Four six nine nine, and that works like voicemail. So you just call and leave a brief message. You know, keep it down to two or three minutes at most. And um, and if you can leave a name, it doesn't you know it could just be your first name if you like, or make up a name or whatever, just so that we can you know refer to you as you know as someone. And um, and that would be fantastic. And oh, and if you record, you you could also many voice um, smartphones have a voice memo feature. You can record a um, something easy that way if you don't you don't have to have an elaborate microphone and you know computer set up to do it you could just simply use your smartphone do a voice memo and then email it to us at feedback at podshock.net again the email address is feedback at podshock.net someone did send a, a um, audio feedback that way and this is henrik and he had some thoughts about bottle episodes A bottle episode is when you use exclusively standing sets and regular cast members. The only Doctor Who example I can think of is Edge of Destruction. And that was Henrik, and that's, um, I, technically, I think he's right. That's, that's, you know, traditionally that's what I always thought of as bottle episodes. I think sometimes when we use the term bottle episodes is, um, when it takes place in one particular setting and um, or location, but I, I think technically I think he's correct. Where um, I, you know, for instance, a, a bottle episode might be like um, a Star Trek episode that only takes place aboard the Enterprise. Just uh, and, and in this case of Doctor Who, a an existing set would be the TARDIS set, and he mentions Edge of Destruction, and that was definitely that most definitely is a t- bottle episode. But I, I think sometimes yeah, we, we mean, use it more it, loosely. Yeah, I mean, I would think like midnight. I mean, there's an episode in the resort at the beginning with the, uh, you know, at the side of a swimming pool or whatever it is. But most of that takes a place upon the actual transport uh, vehicle on on the surface of midnight. Uh, so, although I take note of what he says, I would still put that under the umbrella of a bottle episode because sometimes I think of a bottle episode as well is referred probably wrongly, but by quite a lot of Doctor Who fans as sort of what they think of as the lower cost one. You know, they haven't done any outside broadcasting. It's done within the studio rather than within one set. It's done within the studio and maybe it's perceived as being a a less costly episode. But that's not, of course, the definition. Uh, And then the other definition that Taras has used is being this um, based on the siege thing, which is is a completely different thing, but sometimes uh, people will interchange those two references. Hmm. And I thought that bottle episodes are those that you have to take a few nips from the bottle to get through them. <laughs> oh, well, that's every episode, episode as far as we're concerned. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> those are the podcast ones. You have to take a few sips out of a bottle to, to get through the podcast. <laughs> Oh, you want to know what I'm drinking? I'm drinking uh, Flagstone, uh, the Cheetah Reserve, Cabernet Sauvignon 2012. That's what I'm drinking. And it's four in the morning. (laughs) 
It is is four in the morning, yes. All right. Well, I I do do appreciate your diligence there, Dave, and it's always appreciative. All right. Well, I think that's going to round out our feedback again. um, Send your feedback to us at feedback at podshock.net or you can use the Pachak public call box 206-337-4699. I know that number occasionally does change. Um, it's sort of out of, out of um, so, somewhat out of our control sometimes. So uh, you can always go to uh, pachak.net, our website, and there's a feedback link there on the top, on the top menu, and you can always uh, get the, you know, the, the, the phone number there. You know, and also I realize many people are, are listening to our podcast while driving, and you can't really chart down the number. So if you can just remember pachak.net and go to our website and there's a link there for feedback and you can that explains how you can send feedback because we always enjoy hearing your feedback and um, it doesn't necessarily have to relate to the review that we did on a particular episode. It could be anything relating to Doctor Who, um, uh, your thoughts about the 50th um, anniversary or, or what, you know, maybe um, since it is 50 years, maybe uh, like Terrace and I would, were talking about w, a local channel here and when they showed Doctor Who in the, uh, with Tom Baker back in the late 70s, maybe how you discovered Doctor Who and, um, you know, how you came aboard and, um, you know, and, 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 you know, talk about your journey a little bit. Whatever it may be. All right, well... And they could send it in a bottle. In a bottle, it. absolutely. <laughs> and it will be a bottle episode, it will be a bottle feedback. <laughs> or... You know what? You could send your feedback and then send a bottle of <laughs> what was it? What were you drinking again, Dave? <laughs> that. <laughs> you got to keep you know Dave lubricated. Uh, well, I, I actually prefer crate crate episodes where you send a crate. <laughs> okay, crate episodes. Crate episodes are great. Great crate episodes. All right. So uh, I guess um, next time it will be. Uh, if all if if we go according to um, what people are predicting, it will be journey to the center of the TARDIS. So, um, if you're following along and you want to rewatch that episode again uh, for our next review, um, stay tuned. And speaking of staying tuned, you could uh, if if you want to hear more of Dave, he's available on the Cultum Collective, which is um, a live show uh, as as well as you could catch it after the live show via iTunes. But if you want to catch the live show, it's on TalkShoe on Sundays, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in the U.S. Uh, adjust to your, um, your time zone, wherever you may be. And that's on um, TalkShoe. And the ID number for that is, and when I say TalkShoe, it's TalkShoe.com. You can go there. They have That's when we do our live shows. We, d- we usually do it on TalkShoe. So uh, the Cultum Collective is avail- is, um, is broadcast Sundays, at 2 p.m. and the talk show ID number, Dave, is? Is 54821. And remember, we don't just do Dot Who, we do other things. Um, uh, we've just put the commentary up for Bad Wolf, by the way, but uh, yeah, we were doing about the Golden Globes and SAG winners. That's the uh, Screen Actors Guild Awards. And of course, uh, we've just had in the news the National TV Awards, which we mentioned the nominations of, but um, lots of good stuff. And there's 431 episodes. There's 31 days of continuous <laughs> podcast. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, that's that's all. That's um, yeah. We don't recommend. I well, you, you're more than happy to do that with Colton. But uh, for those that are, are, are that may be, um, you know, doing that with Talk to Panchak, that's not something that we can 
wholly um, recommend. You know, we, we're not responsible for any medical conditions that may occur if you're doing back-to-back doctor's <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you both, Taras and Dave. It's been a wonderful journey tonight, and um, we'll be back for another journey through the TARDIS Indeed next time. Indeed it was. Yes. And yeah, that's another episode in the pocket. Yeah, in a pocket universe. Or in the bag, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> or right. a bottle universe. Or a bottle universe. All right, well, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Goodbye, all. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan run GallifreyMC.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit arttrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts. I'm looking for a ghost. And you are? Ghostbusters.